Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Okay, just while they are um, sorting out the microphone, uh, hopefully they will. Um, I just said to Bill I wouldn't do this, but I'm going to do what I just said I wasn't going to do. Um, the last two weeks, we have um, done a collection for uh, Food Bank. It's part of, it's like harvest season in schools, and uh, I don't know how much has been collected in the schools. John, do you know how much? We don't know, but hundreds of kilos. Tons. Tons of food. Maybe what? Okay, hundreds and thousands, yeah, yeah. I used to like hundreds and thousands, the, the sweets, that is. Um, but we as a church did a, did a collection, and uh, we collected 72 kilos, which, is, uh, which was really good over the two weeks that we did it. Well done. Yeah. Um, we don't know how much uh, money we raised, um, but I, I took, and uh, apologies to Jen, she's not in here, I took a sneak look at the money, and it was definitely well over £1,000 that we've raised also for our, our love offering towards the food bank cap and other things that we do. So that's, that's great, isn't it? That's wonderful. I'm sure we'll get specific figures on both of those. John, I task you with that um, to do. Okay, so we've been doing a series um, over these last few weeks called uh, The Village. It takes a village. And we've been looking at the idea that that the church is like a village. It's the, it's the smaller sustainable community that there is in life, where, where people live together, people work together, uh, people celebrate together. And we've been talking about the, the church being like that, but also being different to a normal village. Many people here actually grew up in villages. I didn't. I grew up in the city. Um, um, but unlike normal villages... This village, Jesus is king. And that sets the culture, that sets the tone of everything that we do. And we've, over these last few weeks, we looked at the idea that core in the village was, was humility. That, 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 that the gospel uh, really takes place because of the humility of Jesus to, to sort of give up his rights and go to the cross for us. And that he asked us also to be humble. And uh, we also had a week where we looked at, looked at love and the fact that we were to love one another and that by loving one another, people would see that love and that they would join, they would come into the community. We looked at what it was to serve. And a couple of weeks ago, uh, Sir John and uh, Maureen talked about serving. They talked about food bank and some of the things that we do. And we had that wonderful testimony from uh, Petra about that. And then we looked at the importance of deep relationships in the church and that those relationships were not in that sense normal. They were based much more on the fact that Jesus had done something and enabled us to come together in relationship. There are a number of passages that talk about that. Ephesians 2 is a good one. And then we looked last week, Steve was quite powerful when he talked about the importance of resolving conflict and the fact that God has put into the world really as almost as common grace, the ability to forgive. And forgiveness is massive 
if we're going to resolve conflict and be able to move on. And today we're, we're continuing to speak into the village uh, series and I want to talk today about using what God has given you, using what God has entrusted to us. And after that, I've got a, a bit of an announcement to make, um, but we'll get to that. Hopefully you won't be put off by that. So I'm going to read from the scripture. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to read from my small Bible. We know the problems that I have with this. <laughs> uh, which, to be honest, the problems weren't there a while back, but they have, they have emerged. Uh, problems have emerged. Okay, so um, I'm reading from a very well-known passage, Matthew 25, verse uh, 14 to 28 and this is the parable of the talents just to really to pick it up at the beginning of verse uh, chapter 25 it says this at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like so we're talking about the kingdom of heaven will be like and first of all it talks about the ten virgins then it talks uh, about the talents again it will be like a man going on a journey he, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come fresh to us every day. And we pray that this morning you will open our hearts and our ears to hear you and to follow your leading and directing. I pray that you would uh, help me in my words. In Jesus' name, amen. A description of 
what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a man who goes away on a journey and he entrusts things to his servants, to those that he has left behind. And it's, it's, it's helpful to understand it in this context. I've read it from the NIV, the older NIV. The two key words that you want to understand the context is master and servant. He was a master who left his servants with his property. He entrusted them. And remember, Jesus is telling us this story to give us an indication of what is the kingdom of God like? Well, it's like a master and a servant. It's like a master and a servant. And what he does, he uses this word, he entrusts. He entrusts his servants. He, they were given money in that, in that context or gifts or things that belonged to the master. They were given them to use them. They were given them to do something with them. They didn't belong to them. So you must understand that. The talents didn't belong to the people who were given them. They belonged to the master and they were given to those to be used. And many of us, we need to understand that because this kind of verse can often be used to talk about, you know, God's given you a gift, use your gift, God wants you to do stuff, you've got gifts, come on, let's get them out. And you can think of it like that, that it's your gift to do what you want with, but it's not your gift. Yeah? God has entrusted you with something. It's not like, he's, it's not your gift in the sense that, oh, it's now mine, I can do what I like with it. It's yours, but you're to do what he likes with it. Yeah, That's why you've been given it. And we must remember that because often, let's be really honest with ourselves, we use our gifts for ourselves. I use my gifts to make me better. I use my gifts to make me more comfortable. I use my gifts to keep me safe, to make me look better in front of other people. I use my gifts in that way, but actually that was not why I was given them. We've been entrusted with gifts and talents. They are not our own. Some of us have the ability to make money. I wish that was one of my abilities. It's not one of my abilities. Yeah, I can use money. Yeah, I can use money, but I've not been given the ability to make money. I was at a conference just the last two days where one of the speakers talked about those of you who God has afflicted with wealth. And I thought, do you know what? I, I can take that affliction. I'll take all that comes with the affliction of wealth. Some of us have the ability to make money. Some of us are very resourceful. Some of us are loved and liked. People like us. We've got that kind of winning personality, winning smile. Some of us are clever. Whatever it is you have, those gifts have been entrusted to you by the master. They're not yours. They're his. Now, what is interesting with this passage is it doesn't explain, the master doesn't explain what he wants the servants to do with his money it's almost like there's an implied purpose they get it yeah this again while we were away these last couple of days there was a, a, an amazing talk around cultural mapping and how cultures work and some cultures communicate non-verbally and this sounds like it's one of them he gives them the money he doesn't seem to give them any instructions but there's an implied purpose and they seem to know what to do with the money there's no direct instructions as to what to do, but it's implied. Use and multiply what you have, because one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to call you to account for what I've, for what I've given you. 
Use and multiply what I have. So often we can struggle with the fact that the master is a long time coming. Yeah? And particularly in a world where we don't want anything to take a while. Do you know what I mean? I wait for the bus for two minutes, I'm ready to walk. Yeah? Or, uh, more, this happens to us quite a lot, Paulie and I would go out, and this truly happens, we'll go out, and let's say I meet her and I'm 25 seconds late. Yeah? I'm never late, actually, when I meet her. But if I am, she's gone. Yeah, she's off, she's out, she's looking at other shops, she's busy. Uh, so we're not very good at waiting. Yeah? So I don't know what we do when the master is a long time in coming. Now, our master is Jesus. And to us, it can feel like he's a long time in coming. And you can forget, oh, yeah, he's given me gifts. He's given me talents to use. You can forget it. And you can just get on with your life and do your thing. And by nature, we become people that seek out the comfort and the security, the material stuff. That's what we become naturally, unless we really intentionally think, no, it's not about me. All these gifts I've got are not for me. They are for him. Because we know from this passage, and Jesus is making it really clear, the master will return. There will come a day when Jesus will return. And he will call all of those that he has given gifts to account for those gifts. What have you done with what I gave you? How have you dealt with it? The master did return. Now, when he returns, we have this response. The first response, which the first two servants make, is to go, is to quickly get the money that they, ha- that they were given, get the money that they made, go to the master, and they say, look, here's the five talents you gave me, here are the two talents you gave me, and here I've made five more. I've made two more. I've multiplied what you gave me. I did what you wanted me to do. Even though you never quite said it, I did it. I did it. And when they respond like that, they are rewarded. I don't know how, much of you, how many of you ever think about when you do what God wants you to do, there'll come a day when he will reward you. Yeah? You won't just go to heaven. He will reward you. He'll say, well done, come. Yeah? You've been faithful with a few things. I'll, make you, I'll, I'll give you many things. There is such a lesson, principle, in that idea of faithfulness with little brings faithfulness with much. Yeah? You know you can trust somebody with a lot because of what they've done with a little. Yeah? It's a principle. Yeah? If you're good with the little stuff you got, if you're good with your family, then you're likely to be good with other stuff. If you neglect your family, what do you, what's it going to be like? So they are rewarded for what they bring. The second response, however, is interesting. And so often I think we don't focus on the second response. We're more interested in the talents that we've got and what we might do with them. But the second response is really interesting. And I don't think it's, it's as rare as it might appear. Out of fear, the final servant hides the money. He hides it out of fear. Yeah, he's fearful. I hid what you entrusted to me. So he's not denying that it wasn't entrusted, but he hides it out of fear. And he says, and why does he do that? It's interesting. Why did the servant not use what he had given? 
Maybe it was envy because he's the one talent man. Yeah? And you might think, you know, you might, you might not be able to get over that. I'm the one talent man. Yeah? He's the five talent man. That, that's not fair. Yeah? You might not be able to get over that. But I don't think it's just about envy. There's something more going on here. The passage indicates that it was his view of the master that affected his response. It was his view of the master. So he looks at the master, and what does he say? Let me see if I can find it over my glasses. Um, The man who had received the one talent came. Yeah, so he comes to the master. He does everything else that they do. He gets the talent. He comes to the master. Master, he said. So he still acknowledges, you're my master. I knew... I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. I was afraid. It was his view of the master that made him hide his talent because he didn't realise what the master was really like. Now, that's really, really important to understand. Because how that translates to you and to me is this. My biggest danger in not putting to use what God has entrusted to me is not simply that, oh, I get caught up in material stuff. It's not simply that I, you know, run away and do other things. It's not simply envy. It's this. It's my view of God. It comes down to how I view God. Whether or not I use the stuff, the talents, the gifts that God has given me will come down to my view and my understanding of God and who he he is and what he is like. And if I think he is a hard man, if I think he is distant, if I think that he is unfair, I'm not going to use my talents for him. I'm going to bury them. Or worse still, I'm going to use them for my own stuff. It comes down to what I think of God. A.W. Tozer, who is a well-known Christian writer, said this, Whatsoever a man thinks about God is the most important thing. How you view God is the most important thing. It dictates more of what you think, more of the way you behave than you realise. Yeah? It dictates more of what you think, more of what you, what you say and behave than you realise. So what do you think about God? What do you think about him? Now I can ask that and you'll say, oh yeah, yeah, I think God is my father. Isn't that wonderful? God's my father. And yeah, it's good. God is your father. He loves you. He wants to give you good things, but he's also your master who's entrusted you. How do you know what you really think about God? Because you could all answer that question. I could say, what do you think about God? And I said, I'll get in twos and tell. You'll say, well, I think God is like this. I think God is like that. But how do you know what you really think about God? How do you really look in that mirror? You can ask yourself some honest questions. Do I trust him? And before you say, oh yes, yes I do, think about what does trusting God look like in my life? 
Does it mean I'm prepared to put aside my ideas for him? Does it mean I wait for him to act? Does it mean I'm resisting temptation? Does it mean I'm following his rules and laws out of love for him? Does it mean those things? Do I trust him? Do I look to him? When I'm struggling, where do I really go? When things are a battle for me, what do I do? Do I follow him? Or do I kind of follow him alongside following lots of other things? I add Jesus in to the rucksack of my life. He's one of the many things that I have there. What do you really think about God? And let me ask you this question to help you in that answer. Is my faith in God getting stronger or weaker? As I sit here today and I look back, just maybe even just a month, six months, a year, is my faith in God stronger or weaker? And remember, your faith in God is not about your circumstances because difficult circumstances can often make your faith stronger if you respond in the right way. So it's not about, oh, you know, I'm just going through a really tough time at the moment. Well, tough times is where God is really good. He's really, really good in tough times. Is my faith getting stronger or weaker? Do I trust him more today than I did this time last year? Am I on that kind of trajectory? So I leave you with those thoughts about the talents. The talents are not yours. They've been entrusted to you. The reason that in the end you don't use your talents is what you think about God, really, ultimately. It might have all sorts of other smaller connotations, but in the end, it's what do I think about God? And now, for a moment, I just want to talk a little bit about, and hopefully this will all come together, about our journey, the journey of Beacon Church. It was about eight years ago that Pauline and I were asked to leave I mean, we weren't thrown out, but we were asked to leave our, our previous church. We were sent, that's probably the good word, um, from our previous church. Um, and God entrusted us with this church, with Beacon. Uh, and as some of you know, I was, I was a full-time elder in that church, which now is maybe, well, at that time, it was maybe 10 times the size of Beacon. Yeah, it was a big church. And uh, I was one of the elders there on the staff there. I had been involved in that church from I was two years old, so for like 40 years. Yeah? There were people there who say, I remember you running around. <laughs> yeah? And so that's where I had been. That's where I grew up. I grew up in Catford. I lived there all my life. And then about eight years ago, God, for reasons only known to himself, um, moved Pauline and I from... Uh, King's Church in Catford to come here and it would be fair to say that it's not that my life hadn't been swimming before that yeah I had had some sort of ups and downs but it would be fair to say that the last eight years have probably been the most challenging of my life yeah the most challenging years of my life but the biggest lesson I have learned over these last years the biggest thing that I've sought to do is to love God. I've, I've learned that, yeah? And I'm grateful I learned that. 
yeah, because I don't think I would have survived if I hadn't learned that lesson. It's been the most invaluable lesson I've learned over the last eight years. It has helped me resist temptation. It has helped me to pursue humility. It has helped me to love Pauline and to love the girls, and you know that I do. It has helped me to do that. It has helped me to grow in personal prayer and devotion. It has helped me to want to respond like the first two servants. Master, okay, I've got the... Can I put it to use? It's helped me to do that. It has been the most deeply satisfying and deeply life-transforming experience, this journey that I've had. And I was in a big church, and we used to do... Where we're doing a baptism, and I'm so grateful to God we're doing a baptism. We used to do 50 baptisms a year in my last church, and I'd oversee all of that. We would see 50 to 100 people saved every year. For years we were doing that. But I'm so grateful when we see two baptisms here. I love it. So loving God has been the biggest journey. Some of the greatest encouragements and joys that I've had have actually come from some of you. Yeah? I remember the day, where's Emma? That Emma and I went to the airport to pick up Thierry, her husband. She's sitting there, Emma and Thierry, with their little baby Leah, who was two yesterday or celebrated her birthday. We went to the airport and we're chatting. I remember in my head thinking, because he was coming, this was a long distance relationship right to the day of marriage. Yeah? So he was in Rwanda. She was in London. He needed a letter from the Prime Minister to release him to come over and to be married and to live here. I remember driving to the airport and in my head thinking, oh, God, I hope we're not making a mistake here. (laughs) I really hope this is not going to be a problem. And it's not a problem. (laughs) I remember the day, and he's not in the room at the moment, I think he's doing youth, that Dave and I sat outside St Matthew's and he said to me, I've got some boys I want to bring to New Day from my school. And in two weeks' time, two of them are hopefully going to be baptised here. And we've taken, I don't know, 18, 20 boys over the last three years to New Day. And I sat with a couple of them, and I remember one of them saying, when I was at New Day, he said, it wasn't that anyone preached, he said, but as the week went on, I realised I wasn't a Christian. And he came to faith. I remember sitting with Dave and, he, and him saying that to me. I remember the day that, that Becky, who's again in the youth, um, I, I, I had a phone conversation with her. I said, oh, why don't you come to London? So she came to London and she helped us start Food Bank. I remember that day. I remember the day when Matt and I were walking in Brockwell Park and I said something to the effect, are you going to marry her? Are you going to marry her? And then Matt and Alicia got married. <laughs> and now they've had Titus. <laughs> I remember the day that Donovan approached me at church. He said, can I join? It was a big moment, actually. Can I join? And I said, no, 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 of course not. No, <laughs> of course you can join. I remember the day when I went to... Bill and Jen's house. Bill and Jen were in the church with us in Catford and I remember going to their house and they said, we're coming to Beacon. And, and I, it was great, but the, the one thing that was weird, I found, was that Bill had a chair, which was, which was he had a, like a, a garden chair, which was made up of the, U, the, the Union Jack. I thought, that's a bit weird. And I thought, that's a bit weird. Um, but I said, I'll come along anyway. 
Some of the greatest encouragements of joys have come from people in this church. There have been, it would be fair to say, some not great conversations. There have been some tough, really tough conversations. I remember the day when Pauline and I went to B&Q and we were going to buy some... uh, This has become a moment in our family history. Uh, We were going to buy some insulation for the loft. But things hadn't been going well at the church and so we'd ordered it and it was all standing there in the corner and I remember we arrived and we're standing chatting and we said... Uh, is it going to be worth insulating the loft? Are we going to still be here? And we had that conversation and we said, we said, I know, I know what we'll do. We said, whatever happens, we'll try and keep the house. So if that means we take some couple of jobs, we said, okay, we'll try and keep the house. So we, we took the insulation and we went off and we insulated the loft and, and it's still insulated, which is good. <laughs> I remember the eldership meeting very early on when Ben said to me, so what's our vision then, Owen? Where are we going? And inside, I was crying, I don't know. (laughs) I've got no idea. I've got no idea. I've prayed two prayers constantly over the last eight years. Thank you, God. And help me. (laughs) Thank you, God. And help me. And it's pushed me there time and time again. As a church, we enter a new season. God has entrusted us with this. But it's no longer just about Pauline and myself or the elders. And in January, I'm going to be going on a sabbatical. And... uh, Let me tell you what that isn't before you have all sorts of ideas of the the beach and stuff. Yeah. Um, At my last church, um, part of the contract was that every seven years you could take a three-month sabbatical. And uh, when we left, I don't think they did this deliberately, but when we left in the January of 2009, my sabbatical was due in the April of 2009. So I kind of just missed it. And uh, since I've been here and since, uh, as elders, we've been meeting and talking, the guys have always thought, oh, we need to go on a sabbatical. It's not a sabbatical. Um, And so then I did seven years at King's and then we've done eight years here. Um, But we felt this term, as we were sort of praying, and I particularly was praying, that the time was right for me to have that Sabbatical after maybe nearly 15 years of full-time Christian ministry. Let me tell you what I'm not doing. I'm not trying to find a way to leave the church. Yeah? So just so you know that. I'm not, I'm not trying to find a way to leave the church. I, I very much feel God has called me here. It would have to be an Apostle Paul moment for me to move. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not trying to do that. Secondly, I'm not just taking a long holiday. Yeah, I'm not just going to sit at home, and I might sit at home and watch some telly, uh, but I'm not, it's not, the purpose of it is not to sit at home and watch some telly and take it easy. Um, thirdly, I'm not burning out. And I think that's one of the grace of God to me and to us and to my family. And when I met up with Steve, my old pastor, I said to him, I said to him, oh, there are two things I've learned since I've been at uh, Beacon. One is, um, uh, I, I, I know God. <laughs> 
I've learned that. I know God. And the other is, I've got a great marriage. Yeah? Because some of the pressure that you face, if that thing is not secure and strong, it will crack. And, uh, and so I, I've learned those two. I've learned lots of other things, but I learned those two things. So I'm not, I'm not angling to leave. I'm not taking a long holiday. I'm not burning out. What am I doing? I am taking some time to rest, reflect, and a bit of restoration for myself and for Pauline. So when we were in our last church, I was on the eldership team, and there were lots of, um, if you like, strong leadership couples around us all the time. Yeah? And we have some great couples around us, but actually we've missed that. There's an element where we've just missed that. And so we're going to take some time. I don't quite know what we're going to do, but we're going to take some time. Secondly, I'm creating space for me to hear God yeah, about us and our future. I'm creating space for me to do that. Thirdly, I'm leaving space for some of you to rise. I'm leaving space for some of you to rise and use the talents that God has entrusted you with for the purposes of building the church and the kingdom. And fourthly, I might—I won't go into all of this, but I, I, I may well write. I wrote a book a few years ago. I may well do something else uh, uh, as well. So the sabbatical will be for four months. It's going to start at Christmas, so we're looking forward to that day, my love, aren't we? Um, at like the end of uh, this term, and it will run until the end of Easter. And Phil will lead the church in my absence. And uh, I trust Phil. Uh, Phil was the best man at my wedding. Uh, he had my kids. I mean, Pauline had my kids. <laughs> <laughs> He, he looked, yeah. <laughs> but he has, he has been entrusted and looked after our kids from they were like, I don't know, three months old. Yeah, so they know him and his family really well. And he'll lead in my absence with uh, Ben, who's the other elder, and we've got an eldership plus group and other guys and girls who will support them during that time. During that time, I probably won't come to Beacon very much. Uh, because we'll probably visit other places. I won't sit at home. I'll always go to church. We even go to church on holiday, so we'll always go to church. Um, However, there are a couple of things that may well happen, uh, but I don't know. Uh, Pauline and I are both 50 in January, so maybe we'll have a party. I don't know, and it'll be great for the church to come. And Beacon is 10 in March, and maybe you'll do something, and I imagine we'll come to that. So uh, so nice kind of social light things. (laughs) So in a, in a few, I'm sure there could be many questions, and in a few weeks, um, uh, I'll hopefully be able to unpack some of the detail. We've talked this through. As you know, we're, we're part of um, uh, New Frontiers, and we're overseen by Toppy, who leads a church in Enfield. We've talked it through with him. We've also talked it through with another pastor we know called uh, Dave Nunn, who um, is based in Bermondsey, and he's going to probably get a bit more involved uh, with us here. He's going to meet up with Phil and the other elders. He's going to come and speak. He led the church there for many, many years, and he remains an elder there and someone that we know, someone that we we trust. So uh, that's what we're going to be doing. Um, And if you have any other questions in relation to that, then you can obviously speak to me or you can speak to either Phil or Ben and just, just chat that out with them if you want to do it.
We're doing it, though. I realise that we're not doing my sabbatical simply just for me. This wasn't like just about Owen and he needs a bit of a break. This is very much part of the next or preparing for the next phase of the church. We very much feel that. When we were our weekend away, you'll remember, if you were with us, um, Angela Kem, who took that weekend and, and spoke so powerfully and prophetically into the church. What, one of the things she talked about was, your foundations are laid, you need to build up. And she talked to us as, as like the elders and wives group that we should release the church uh, into ministry. I didn't quite know what that meant. Uh, but all of that is kind of coming together. And we're recognising that oh, God is doing something. And even this venue uh, is a just sign of that God is doing something um, in and through us. And we don't want to miss it. We want to be part of it. And I want you to be part of it. Uh, and I want you to have that right understanding of who God is. I want you to have that. We're going to finish with a song. Can, can the band uh, come up? Because how you view God makes all the difference it really makes all the difference do you really think of God as a father who loves you but also as a master who's entrusted you or do you think that God's not really relevant and you might be a Christian and still think God's not really relevant because we're in that period of the long time the long time coming Uh, but actually Uh, We want to be among those who are like those first two servants who when they get given straight away, straight away, they act on what God has given them and they're able to come back and bring, bring an account for what he has done. Okay, well, I'm going to finish there and we're just going to, we're going to worship. And if you have, oh, Phil, I'm going to hand over to you. That's what I'm going to do. Just report me. Why don't we um, just express our appreciation to Owen for the word he's just brought. So uh, we're going to worship just to finish. And uh, as he was speaking, one of the things that that struck me really was uh, after a preach like that, and I've sat through, you may also have sat through a number of preaches on that passage about the talents and felt deeply moved by it, but also felt slightly frightened and worried about, okay, what, but the, do you know what the, the, the reassuring thing is, is that the talents were given by the master. It's what he's given you. He's not asking you for anything that he hasn't already given you, okay? And so as we worship, um, we'll make a space and an opportunity for you to come forward if you would like to to just, again, express, I guess, commitment to the Lord that you're bringing your offering and what he's given you back to him and uh, asking him to bring the increase and the blessing. And so if you particularly feel that on your heart, then I encourage you, come to the front. And uh, that just signifies, in a way, physically, what, what you're saying in your heart to the Lord. Lord, I'm giving it back to you again. It's yours. Bring the increase. Bring the increase. Have it. But have it for you, not for me. Okay. Let's stand together. We'll sing this song. And if you feel moved, then then come forward. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, 
please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.